Now let us turn to Samuel chapter 11. For Samuel chapter 11. For Samuel chapter 11. Now we have read, we have heard in the scripture reading of this account. Now this is the children of Israel, at least for those that live in Jabesh Gilead, facing a terrible threat. The Ammonites gathered themselves against this group of people living in this part of Israel. Now they said that if you want us not to kill you, attack you, then you thrust out your right eye. Now, what did they mean by that? They meant it literally. But what is the point? Well, the understanding that in those days, when kings subjugate their enemies, this is one of the things they do, because the right eye, by and large, are most people's master eye. When they go into battle, they will use the weapon on their right hand and the shield on their left hand. So the shield will shield themselves, but their right eye must be able to see the battle, the fight. So to remove the right eye would make their enemies militarily very weak, unable to retaliate or fight one day against them. Can you imagine how cruel it is to take something and pierce out your right eye, thrust out the right eye. That is what they say. Well, if you do not want us to attack you, then you do that. But it is more than that. Now, I want you to look at verse 2. Well, that I may thrust out all your right eyes and lay it for a reproach upon all Israel. Now, it was more than just to weaken them. But it was a reproach upon all Israel. They wanted Israel to be ashamed to be seen as weak by the world, to be a reproach. How shameful it would be that these people would rather thrust out their eyes than to fight for their land. Now this would be Saul's first call. The first king of Israel, his first task. What would he do? Well, Saul gathered all the tribes of Israel. We see that, right, called far and wide. Sent messengers far and wide all the coast of Israel. And he gathered them and he marched towards the front line to fight the Ammonites. They experienced resounding success. In fact, the word of God says, well, all of them, look at verse 11. It came to pass that they which remained, the enemies, were scattered so that Two of them were not left together. This was utter, total defeat of the enemies. They were so afraid. They went in all sorts of direction and they just worried about their own lives. They did not even want to fight anymore. Not even two people would be together to support one another. It was every man for, him, for his own life. It was total resounding success. Now this was an excellent, incredibly wonderful start for Israel. They received the first king. And their first battle with this first king was a resounding success. Well, definitely it was God that delivered them. Definitely it was God that gave them success. Without a doubt, we saw it in the verses here. Even Saul himself acknowledged 
Now I say the Lord hath wrought salvation in Israel. They understood it was God that gave them the victory. Now, yes, God must work. What are the lessons for us? The question is this. How did they function together? Yes, God will help them. God will work. God will be the one that will win the battle for them. But how did the children of Israel function together? This is what the chapter spent, this chapter spends time in describing. Now look at verse 7. When Saul called, when Saul issued the call, the call to the people to rally together, we sung, lift the banner high, rally under it, rouse them. Now look at verse 7 in the last part. And the fear of the Lord came, fell upon, fell on the people, and they came out with one consent. They came out with one consent. Now this means that they were utterly united. They came out with one consent. Israel was very united. The resounding success was because they were strongest together. And that is today's the title of today's message. Strongest together. They came out together, all the tribes. There was no single tribe that would say, we will not go with one consent, all in agreement of heart, united. And that was why they were very strong. God is the one who works, correct? But the people must learn that they are strongest together. Now, what are the lessons for us to learn as a church? Well, the first one, strongest together. Now, togetherness in unity is expected. Togetherness in unity is expected. How do we know that? Now, look at verse 5. When Saul found out that the people, well, they were crying, they were weeping. And when he found out the tidings of the men of Jabesh, now look at verse 6. Well, the Spirit of God came upon him. What did the Spirit of God stir him to do? In verse 7, he says, And he took a yoke of oxen and hewed them in pieces. Yoke of oxen, like it means, well, two oxen that were yoked together. Now, he just came back from looking after um, the animals of his father. It could be he took it from his own, his own father's flock. Two of the oxen, he brought it together, verse 7, and hewed them in pieces and sent them throughout all the coasts of Israel. By the hands of messengers, saying, Whosoever cometh not forth after Saul and after Samuel, so shall it be done unto his oxen. And the fear of the Lord fell on the people, and they came out with one consent. Now, did Saul just simply say, Please come? No, he did something very, very gruesome to the point where he says, If anyone would not come together, to unite, to fight for Israel. Look at this piece of meat. Then let it be done to your oxen as well. There was nothing, when the Holy Spirit came upon Saul, the anger in him was this. How dare anyone not want to be together? How dare anyone even think of not participating in this battle together. How dare anyone even want to think, well, I just want to go on in my own life. These oxen are very, very precious animals. These oxen are 
or what is needed to make a living. They're expensive. And he took a pair of it, not just one, to indicate to them what is the point of farming your land, to have possessions, when you do not understand that everything that you do in your life to make a living, to have anything, well, it's for living together for the purpose of God. How dare anyone think of not being together in this? Now, this was a very strong message to rally them. Togetherness is expected, my friends. This was a strong warning, a death threat to their livelihood. Because if these animals, these oxen, the most important, one of the most important animals for their livelihood, and Saul said, if you don't come, I will personally make sure that all your oxen will be like that. You may as well not live. I will make sure of that. Now, what are the applications for us today? Now, we don't live as individuals. We don't live as just families for ourselves. Teens, you are not just a teenager living in this world for yourself. Elderlies, you are not just an elderly to say, well, you know, my life is old already. I don't need to be part of all these things in the church, in the work of God. Now, the very sad thing in Christianity today is this. Church is just simply a place that Christians go to, turn up, pay their dues to God, and the rest of the week, they live for themselves. What have my life to do with church? Now, we constantly learn and we say, now this is dead orthodoxy, if we do not realize what we are saying. The church has temporarily replaced Israel, right? Even teens, young ones, you understand that, you say that. Well, as Bible Presbyterians, we understand that. We are different from Presbyterians. We believe that God one day will restore Israel. And we are now temporarily taking Israel's place to, to be a witness for the world. We say all those things. But the thing is this. Israel was supposed to work together as a witness to the world. That is why Saul said, how dare you not even want to participate in this kingdom's work? Well, we say that, but truly, we have no care for the kingdom of God. As long as I am spiritual, that is what church is for, to help me to be spiritual. As long as well, I'm teaching my family, my children, that's what the church is for, to help me be a godly family. Help me to be a godly teen. And that's all, to help me to live my own life. Now, don't mistake me. I'm not saying that being spiritual is wrong. But what is the point of being spiritual? There is one very big point that Christians miss today. What is the point of being spiritual as an individual, as a father, as a mother, as a child, as a teen? What is the point? Is it not to be united for the kingdom's work? We cannot live as an island and we have to remove, have to get rid of that thinking once and for all. It was so serious. Now, even Saul at this stage, Saul would not be a good king later on, we will see. Even Saul at this stage understood how crucial it is 
Well, of course, stirred by the Holy Spirit. God expects, God expects. It is so serious that God would send this warning to them. We replace Israel temporarily, yes. Then what is the warning to us? Is it not the same? Today, church is just for people to turn up and they disappear as quickly as they can. They do not care about the church's projects. They do not want to contribute. They are just busy with their own lives. How do you view church? Is it a place where we unite together to fight God's battle? Every individual counts. Or will we, or BPCWA be just like what the churches are today? A place of gathering, a lot of people coming, well, we are just hundred over people. Some churches, a thousand people, hundreds and hundreds of people. It's just a place to turn up and then disappear. No care for the kingdom of God. Now, if you have not been someone that bothers and you still think it is for me to be spiritual, my family to be spiritual, and that is all, I don't need to engage with the kingdom's work in this church. Remember the warning. God says, then what is the point of you having anything in your life? What's the point of having a job? What's the point of having a living? What's the point of having children? What's the point of having health? What's the point of having money? What is the point, teens, of having a brain to study in school? What is the point? And that is Saul's point. You may as well be without these things, and I will come and remove them. Everything, my dear friends, dear hearers, is always for us to unite for the kingdom of God. Now, if you've been a Christian for a long time and you think church is just a place to go to, there is for other people to live like that for God, I don't have to choose that. Now, Saul was saying exactly that. There are those that may think, I don't have to, be cho- I don't have to choose to be part of God's work. Then let this be done unto the oxen. That is not an option. It is an expectation when the Holy Spirit came upon Saul to bring this clarity of expectation to every tribe in Israel. The church is made up of you as singles, as teens, as elderly, as families. How do you view church? Now, the next one. The next one. Togetherness, what is the purpose? You say, all right, I will be, I want to be part of the church. What is it for? Now look at verse 13, all right? Verse 13. Now Saul got it right. Saul said, there shall not a man be put to death this day, for for today the Lord hath wrought salvation in Israel. God has saved Israel. Now you notice that immediately Samuel chimed in, in verse 13. 14. Then Samuel said, Then Samuel said to the people, He made sure that everyone understood. There they heard Saul say, Give glory to God. God delivered us. God saved us. God provided for us. But look, verse 14. Immediately Samuel said to the people, Come and let us go to Gilgal and renew the kingdom there. Come and let us go to Gilgal and renew the kingdom there. 
What was the togetherness for? Samuel wanted to, them to make sure they understood. It is not, well, you came together, well, then things went well, right? You won the battle, well, numbers is good. Samuel wanted them to make sure that they understood the reason why that God gave them salvation Verse 4, verse 14. The kingdom, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. Some people view church as a place of social activities. Samuel did not say, wow, wonderful, you know, we kind of lived apart. But how wonderful it is now that we gathered together. Now we are so together. Samuel was not saying, let us renew our friendships, our camaraderie, our closeness as Christian friends. Samuel wanted them to understand the reason why God delivered them is for his kingdom. Now he said these words, the purpose of God's salvation, the purpose of God's deliverance, this togetherness, this togetherness was to rebuild the kingdom. Why did he use the word rebuild? Rebuild the kingdom. Is, is Israel uh, conquered by um, um, enemies and devastated? No. Not at this stage yet. They were still intact in the land. Renew the kingdom. Now this word renew means to rebuild, to refresh, to repair. This is the word. So what is there to repair? The people has been living in a way that were just living for themselves, individuals. Now how do we know that? Look at chapter 11. Look at chapter 11. Now verse, verse 3. Chapter 11, verse 3. Now the people said this, well, well, give us some time, seven days of respite. Then we may send messengers onto all coasts of Israel. And then if there be no man to save us, we will come out to thee. Now, how sad was the state of Israel? It was not a case where they were so united, they would know that people are united. We will call and we will fight together. No, he said, let us see if anyone will come and help us. We will ask, anyone, anyone willing to help us? In fact, it was so sad that they kind of felt that there is a likelihood that none will come to rescue them. That is why they say, well if, well, if no one comes, if no one comes, then we will come out to you. Then we come and surrender to you if no one comes. If no one comes. Now, you know how sad it is when a, when a church is like that? When people just live for themselves, going on in their own ways? There's, there's no united, united unity around the work of God and for the kingdom of God. They were living like that. So Samuel said, we need to rebuild the kingdom. We need to now get this understanding. You saw that you were strongest together. Yes, God will deliver, but if you would not be united, then why would God be interested in helping you, Israel? That is why the Lord wrought salvation. Now don't have this idea when I say we must be part of the church, we must be engaged. 
I'm not saying engage in more social activities, engage in more fun and games, engage in more all this kind of um, um, closeness of friendships. Samuel needed them to understand that. This is not about the fact that, oh, good, my eyes did not get thrust out. Oh, good, we did not get killed by enemies. Oh, good, we did not have to um, submit to our enemies and serve them. Samuel needed them to understand, this is not about you. This deliverance is not about you. Dear friends, the lesson for us is this. When God brings salvation into our life, it is not for us to live that life for ourselves. When will we change that thinking? You may be saying, yeah, Pastor, we hear that all the time. My question to you today is this. Is it real in your life? By your choices? By your living? Now, teens, please know this. You are, if you are saved, you are part of this kingdom. Don't have the idea that, well, when I grow up, I will be part of the battle. For now, I will live for myself. Don't have that idea. When Saul say, if any would not participate, then kill their oxen. Remove all the horses in their family and let them starve to death. It includes their children in the homes. Include the elderly in the homes. This is how serious it is. Samuel quickly directed the people's thought and the thinking to why God gave them salvation. This is not simply friendship, renewing of friendship. This is not simply avoiding problems in life. You know, many people see churches. I want, I want church in my life. Why? So that when I am in trouble, people will help me. So that when I have difficulties in life, well, many people will rally around me, help my family financially, help my children to be better, help me go through all these difficult times. Well, some, some, some people may have some, some um, skills that can help me. That is why people go to church very often. About me. About me. Now, I'm not saying that we don't help one another, but be clear what the purpose is. Be very clear why God wrought salvation. Why did God save you? Why did God save you and I? Why did God give us a church? Why did God put us in this church? For renewing the kingdom. Renew, we need to renew the kingdom. Do we need BPCWA? Do we need to rebuild the kingdom as well? Now it was a good thing. It was a good thing. Look at verse 15. Now the people went to Gilgal and they made Saul king. So now they really, they really see this is, this is a king that is worth to be our king, leading us, gathering us, rallying us together. He was not fearful. Now they, now they really made him king. And they sacrificed sacrifices of peace offerings before the Lord. Now their minds were drawn to God. Because of Samuel. And there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoice greatly. They rejoice in the Lord. It was not just, wow, we were delivered from our enemies. We won this battle. No, now they understood. This is about the kingdom of God. This is not about us. 
They made sacrifices to God to thank Him, and they rejoiced. Christian, you know, when you truly begin to live together and engage in the kingdom of God's work, to live for the kingdom of God, that is where true rejoicing is. These people experienced that. This was a very, very wonderful start for Israel. But the very sad thing we know, it fizzled out very quickly. Will BPCWA be like that for these years? Yes, we want to live for the kingdom of God. We rejoice in that. Will it fizzle out? What are the lessons for us? What are the lessons for us? We need to renew the way we view our salvation, the way we view our possessions, the way we view the life that God gives to us. What is it for? We need to renew our thinking about the church. They needed to renew their thinking about the kingdom. The church is where the work of God is done. We learn in the book of Ephesians, it is God's eternal purpose that just like through Israel, the, church, the world will come to know the living God. It was through Israel. We are temporarily replaced Israel. Then now it is through the church, the local church, BPCWA, that God will be known to the world, that souls will be edified and strengthened, that where things will be organized and done for the kingdom of God. The church is where God's work gets done. We need to change our thinking of that. Church is not a, an appendix in our lives. Please remember that. This was one thing that Samuel had to quickly correct them. Good, now you experience this. It is about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God's work today is done through the church. You say, well, you're the pastor, so you won. You want people to be engaged in church, right? Get free service. Well, you want to think like that, it's up to you. When the Holy Spirit came upon Saul, this was what he made him do. If you do not want to be part of the kingdom's work, you want to be disengaged. Teens, you live your own life. Family, you live your own life. Live for yourself, elderlies. Singles, just care for yourself. If you want to live like that, this is actually what you deserve. This is not about me, pastor saying, well, care for the church. Maybe you say now, well, you mean nothing about me? Church is nothing about me? That was exactly what Samuel needed them to understand. Yes, Israel is not about you as individuals or individual tribes. It's not about you. It's about the kingdom. You need to renew your thinking about the kingdom. Stop living just for yourself as an individual and as long as you're not living sinful life, you think you're fine. You need to change your thinking. Nothing for me. You know, today many go to church seeking to be encouraged. Maybe you think, oh, pastor hasn't been around for some time. I'm looking forward to him to come back to preach encouraging messages to us, to stir us. Now, what is that? What is encouragement in church? When you come for Bible studies, when you come to church, what's an, an encouragement? What is a stirring in your heart? What do you want to be encouraged about and stirred in in your heart? The people won the battle. Well, they were all feeling really good. Here, Samuel was the party spoiler. The party spoiler. The celebration is about rebuilding the kingdom of God. 
It's not about your family being delivered. It's not about your eyes being, being kept intact. It's not about your oxen kept intact. No, it is not about you. What is a stirring and encouraging message, my friend? Samuel just want them to say, I'm pointing you to God. Ah, yeah, everything, every time about God and his kingdom, God and his kingdom. What constitutes a meeting that encourages and stirs a Christian? Is it that I feel more loved by God? You go away feeling, God loves me so much. Or is it about, well, I receive a promise from God in this message. God will give me a job. I receive a, um, a promise of healing. I receive a promise of being helped in my family problem. Well, I receive a promise from God. Now I am so encouraged. Elderly feel, I'm, I'm so encouraged. God loves me. God will take care of me till I die. God will provide for me. Me, 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 me. People say, now that is an encouraging message. But what did Samuel say? Oh, now I encourage you. You see, you see, God will help you, right? God will protect your eyes, your health, right? God will protect your, your land and your family, right? No, Samuel say, we must now go. Go to the place where many of the... Gilgal was a very significant place for the children of Israel. He wanted to bring them back to that place where they remember, where their sins were forgiven, where they became useful to God again, where it was about God and His kingdom. He said, let's go back to the same place, their first love. Go back to that place and renew, rebuild the kingdom. Think differently about the kingdom. Live differently for the kingdom. It's all about the kingdom. Now, that is a stirring message. When you come and say, Lord, thank you for reminding me that my salvation, my life, my family, my possessions, and my whole point of working and having oxen to make a living is for your kingdom. My job, my time. I'm not saying don't study, don't work. But everything, everything is about building the kingdom of God. Not just our own lives. What constitutes an encouraging and stirring message? To go away feeling loved. I'm not saying God doesn't love you. But do you know why God loves you? Do you know what it means when God loves you? When God loves you and died for you and saved you, what did, what did Samuel Saul say? The Lord has brought salvation in Israel. Then God helps you in your family. Samuel reminded them, let's go to Gilgal and renew the kingdom. That is what Christians must want to hear. But many do not like that. Not about me again. It's always about the church. Always about the church. Always about the church. Because the church does the kingdom's work. Now I ask you this. Do you want a pastor? Do you want a pastor that comes week after week to say things that make you feel good, make you feel loved? Do you want a Samuel? Would you have been happy if Samuel said, or Samuel and Saul said, wow, you know, um, this is wonderful. God, God always wants to bless us. Or do you want a pastor like Samuel that reminds you they remind you everything is about the kingdom of God. Do you want a pastor who 
who will keep reminding you, keep helping you, keep encouraging you, even, even rebuking you to be what you should be as an individual, as a senior, as a teen, as a family. Do you want a pastor that will make you ready to meet God? Or do you want a pastor that says nice things and you go back feeling good? Do you want a pastor that stir you to realize how far you are, I am, from what we should be? Now, like I said at our BBK the previous week, many of us say we want to meet Christ. But the more you know about Christ, the more you realize what we are saved for, the more you begin to realize how far your life, my life is, doing the purposes of God on earth. I think when we know that, we will plead and beg, God, do not come so soon. There are so many things that I'm failing in now as a single, as an elderly, as a father, as a mother, as a teen. I am such a failure now in my engagement, in your kingdom's work, living for your kingdom. I'm so disengaged. Lord, I will be so ashamed and I will live into eternity knowing that I could have been, I should have been, but I was not. We will plead for him. Don't come back so soon. Too many things in my life needs to be gotten in place. I failed as a father, failed as a mother, failed as a teen, failed as a single, failed as an elderly. Do you want a pastor that prepares you to be exactly what you should be, to be doing what you should be doing, to live, be living for what you should be living for? Now, Saul can tell them. Saul could have told them, well, well, don't worry. Well, just give in to the Ammonites, all right? Don't worry. At least losing your eyes is better than losing your life. Just, 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 just agree to what they say. Don't fight, don't fight. Don't care if reproach is on Israel's, on Israel. When reproach is on Israel, you understand what it means, Correct? means the reproach is on the living God. That is what it really means, the bottom line of it. That their living God, they claim to be living God, cannot deliver them. Now, that is how we are in life. Do you want a pastor that keeps telling you, well, live for the world, don't worry. Ah, you know, um, rather lose, lose what you should be now, but better than, well, lose being popular, lose being famous, lose being um, someone important in this world. Well, at least you have those things, right? Never mind, just disobey a little here and there. Never mind, don't worry so much about God's kingdom. Worry more about yourself and your family, your family's life. Saul and Samuel could have just said, well, all right, no, let's, let's, let's just give them what they want. Just a little piece of land, let, let them have it. But they said, not a single piece of land will be given to the enemies of God. Well, Christian... Do you want to be sanctified? Do you want to be really living for the purpose on earth for which God saved you? Do you want? Well, it all depends. It all depends 
on whether you think that the kingdom of God matters. Right? Now we have to move. The third one. Now, we have learned unity in engagement for the kingdom of God is non-negotiable. Please change that thinking. Please change that thinking once and for all. God saved you to be engaged in the kingdom's work and it's done through the church. We have learned that when we are saved, that everything is for the kingdom of God. It is all about the kingdom of God. We must unite around that. Now then the third thing, something happens. Something happens. Now such strength of togetherness in living for the kingdom of God no longer just be a nominal Christian. That's something. The strongest together will bring a stirring. The strongest together to live for the kingdom of God will bring a stirring. How do we know that? Now look at verse 9 to 10. And when they said unto the messengers that came, thus shall they say unto the men of Jabesh Gilead, tomorrow by the time that the sun be hot, ye shall have help. And the messengers came and showed it to the men of Jabesh, and they were glad. And look at what Jabesh Gilead people say now in verse 10. Therefore the men of Jabesh Gilead said, tomorrow we will come out unto you, and ye shall do with us all that seemeth good unto you. Now, what happened? What happened? Now, look at verse 3. These Jabesh people were so weak, so frightened, so faithless, so careless about the name of God. They would actually say, well, if we can't get help, then we come and surrender to you. That was the kind of heart they had for the name of God. That's the kind of heart they had about they're living on earth. We rather not have eyes than to die. Rather, instead of, we rather die than to shame the name of God. We rather die than to not live out our purpose in this land for God. But he say we rather not die. But when, look at verse 10. When they saw the people come together, when they saw the people came out with one consent, all the other tribes came like that. And when they saw the fear of the Lord, now look at verse 7. The Bible says, and the fear of the Lord fell on the people. You know what that means? When they saw these broken pieces of oxen, God also worked in their heart. Their fear of the Lord, they have such reverence now for God, such zeal for God, such fear of failing God. We say we must go and fight. When they saw this kind of fear in the heart of these people that came together, the strength of it, they changed. How did they change? Look at verse 10. Verse 10. They say unto the men of Gibeah, Jebesh, therefore the men of Jebesh said, Tomorrow we will come out unto you, and ye shall do with us all that seemeth good unto you. What were they saying? They were so stirred in their heart by the unity of these people that gave them the message. They said, whatever you want us to do, just tell us. We will do it. No more, oh, that lie. okay, okay, maybe we surrender. No more such heart. They were ready to succumb to what the enemies wanted. 
Sometimes that is our life. We are ready to succumb to the pressure of the world. We are ready to succumb to difficulties in life. We say, ah, never mind. Just sacrifice some of, some of our parts, our spiritual walk. At least I survive in this world. Now, is this kind of weakness in their heart? But now, they were changed. They were changed. Just tell us what to do. We will be together with you. We will do it with you. Now, seeing how others were so committed to fight the enemies, they were stirred. Now they had a different attitude. No more attitude of resignation, but an attitude of fighting together. Now, what are the applications, my friends? Now, you either stir others to live for the kingdom of God, or you will stumble others. You know the strength of the church, of individuals, of singles, of elderly, of families, living for the kingdom of God unitedly? It stirs others. It stirs others. How many times have we heard families come into our midst, singles, individuals come into our midst, and they say, you know, I thought such a life was not possible. I thought living the family model so differently from the world is impossible. I have such a different idea about what singlehood is about, a different idea about the Christian walk. And when I began to see families live that, when I began to see individuals live that life, I began to be stirred. If they can, then I can because we have the same God. They change. They change. You see, when they saw all the people stirred up, united together, that is what it was. Now imagine in BPCWA, family after families give excuses. Singles after singles give excuses. What, the church, what will the church be to live for the kingdom of God? It will be still the same. All, everyone living for himself, not, not caring about the kingdom of God. No fear of God in our hearts. We only fear the world. But now they saw the fear of God in the people's heart. They feared the enemies. They were willing to succumb. Is that you? Fearing things in this world, fearing that you cannot make it in this world, if you live in a certain way, fearing, 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 look, look around you. And I hope families and singles, you don't fail those. Now, but it also means this. If we are not strong together, if, we, if all of us don't bind our hearts together to live consecrated lives for God and to live for the kingdom of God and to fulfill our purpose for God on earth, instead pursue our own, we will be stumbling blocks. We will be stumbling blocks. Now, singles and families, elderly, teens, please know that your choices, your choices, either to be strong together in obedience to the ways of God, your choices does not only affect your own life. Your choices does not only affect your own family and your own children. Please know that. There are choices to be with one consent and to risk their life to go and fight for the name of God, for the brethren, to live out that risk, stirred. But can you imagine? And I believe that is why God, the Holy Spirit, stirred Saul to do what he did. They looked at those pieces of meat. 
is the fear in their heart towards God. Eh? The Bible says the fear of the Lord. It was a good change. I believe that God made Samuel, Saul do that. It's to make them realize if any single, if any family were to say, well, you know, I think it's too risky for my family. I'm in a stage of life, a single, where, you know, I need to care for myself. I need to build up my finances. I need to build up my health because when I'm old, no one's going to look after me. I, I'm afraid of that. So I, I don't think I want to be involved in this battle, all right? At this phase of life, I, I can't be involved. Elderly may say, well, you know, I'm old already. I can't do much. Well, we see afterwards, all right? Can you? Can you be involved in the battle? I'll just live my own life. Then another elderly will say the same thing. Another elderly will say the same thing. Don't be so engaged in the word. <laughs> Don't be so engaged in spiritual walk. We are old already, you know, enjoy our life, our last phase on earth. Then it will spread. Other singles will begin to also think, well, you know, they are families and we are singles. And it begin to spread. That's why Saul said, don't you even dare to think like that. Because when you do, another family, another single, another young person is going to think like how you think. You will stumble. Well, teens, I do not want you to think for a moment. This message is not about me. I'm just a teen. Your choice of what you do or do not do in school, in your personal life, will either stir another teen to want to obey God, to want to live for God at all costs, or you stir another teen to make the same choice as you. Please don't think this is for adults. This is every single person in Israel. The Bible tells us Saul sent messengers to all the coasts of Israel. Everywhere, everyone, every family was to hear this, to see this piece of meat, these pieces of meat. You will influence another teen. Another teen will influence another teen. And then what will teens be like? Unconsecrated Christians who say, when I grow up. Or you will be the excuse. Daddy, mummish, he also, she also, you will be the excuse for them not to be together, to live for the Lord. So teens, please know, you have either, you have all within your power by the grace of God to choose to stir another teen or to stumble another teen. Families, in that situation, I can easily imagine wives telling the husband, hey, don't go, you know. These Ammonites, they are very, very vicious people, you know. Us people thrust out the eyes. You know, our family is at a stage, children are young, right? If you die, then who's going to bring up, now we have a lot of excuses, who's going to bring up godly seed? You know, I have many excuses to bring up godly seed. We say, I want to have godly seed. I want to bring up godly seed. And to do that, we actually do the opposite things. We don't come for Bible studies. We don't serve. We don't seriously live for the Lord. But say, because I want, to, I want to bring up godly seed. We have many excuses. They could also say that. They could say, well, you know, um, for our safety, 
you know, for our, for our family situation. Well, don't be so engaged. Let others, let others go. Let others do it. I can imagine that that is what happens. Why do you think Saul, the Holy Spirit's third Saul cut these pieces of meat and send it everywhere? That when they look at it, it will be so real in their lives. I cannot think like that. I deserve to have this end of losing everything if I think like that. Well, effectively, God is saying, what is the point of having oxen? What is the point of having a living? What is the point of having a family? What is the point of having money for as singles for your old age? What is the point if it is not to live now, to use them to live now for God? What is the point, elderlies, of God extending your life? You see later on. Well, because these ones were united, you saw the results. BPCWA, do you want to rebuild the kingdom? Do you want to strengthen the kingdom of God on earth? We say, well, we want to, we want to. There is a cost involved. There is cost involved. Real cost. For them, it's really going to battle. They may die. It's really seeing sacrifices made in the family that they may never regain. Oh, but they only cared about the kingdom of God. What a wonderful start. Now then lastly, or second lastly, well, you say they fight battles, right? They go to war. Well, we don't have to go to war. When you say live for the kingdom of God, when you say live for the kingdom of God, that all things are for the kingdom of God, well, what is it like? What is it about? Now, the last, the, this point is strongest together in spiritual success. Strongest together in spiritual success. We read, not two of them were together, they were all totally scattered. This was absolute resounding success. When we are strong together, when we stir instead of stumble one another, you cannot begin to imagine the things that God will use you and BPCWA to do in this kingdom of his on, on earth. I believe with all my heart, we are very far from what we should be as individuals, as families, as a church. As a pastor, I say it without reservation, I think there are so much more of our lives that if we were truly, we were truly to be totally consecrated to the Lord as individuals and everyone coming together to live according to the word of God and to live for God, this will be a very different church. Very, very different. I believe with all my heart. Because we see it in this case, when they united their hearts at all costs, for Israel, when they rejoice because of that, the kingdom of God, rebuilding the kingdom of God, God ensured absolute success. But see, the problem is this. We are interested in physical success of our own lives. We are very, of very little concern for the success of God's work in this world. That is the problem with Christianity today. Maybe some of you sitting there, you are already wondering, will this message ever end? You are bowing your heads and sighing, ah, it's always this kind of messages. You are sick and tired of hearing it. 
Because you do not care. You do not care about the kingdom of God. You do not have a love for Christ. When you love Christ, you will truly mean what you pray. We learned at church camp. Every week we pray, <coughs> Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. It's about God's kingdom from the very first, the very first petition after glorifying God, Thy kingdom come. And it ends with Thy kingdom, Thy power and Thy glory forever. It's all about God's kingdom. It's all about God's glory. Everything in between is asked for that purpose. We can have amazing spiritual success for the Lord if you love God's kingdom. If you love God's kingdom, this message will be encouraging, will be stirring. If not, it will be, it's for other people to live it. I'm not interested in this kind of life. When you meet God, my dear friends, I'm saying this not to scold you. I'm saying this not to belittle you. I'm pleading with you. Your life on earth is very short. You may think that you're still young. You may think that you're still healthy. You may think that you still have many more things and time on this earth. When you meet God, the saddest thing will be you could have been everything that God intended you and your family to be, but you choose not to be part of that. And for the rest of eternity, you will always remember how foolish, how foolish you were to live. Not for the spiritual success of the kingdom of God and unite and live with others, but for yourself. Now back to this point. So I said, well, what is the battle then? What is the battle? Now Israel was a national witness. You know what that means. It means they are a nation. God chose them to be a witness, a light, and to do his kingdom's work as a nation. As a nation, you all know all this theology in your head, but is it dead orthodoxy? They know all this. Means land is important. Means they have to fight real physical war. Satan will always want the land to be taken away. When the land is taken away, then Christ's prophecy of coming through this, Israel will fail. That is why physical battles were always there. Now, what about ours? Now, their physical battle was always spiritual in nature. It was always a spiritual battle. We studied in camp. The battle that was going on, and every time Moses raised his hands, they won the battle. Every time Moses dropped his hands, they lost the battle. God needed to teach Israel. This is not physical battles. This is a spiritual battle. They want to kill Israel, not because of anything. Stirred within them, their own sinfulness, stirred by the wicked one to destroy the witness. Theirs were physical battles. Now then it means this. We are a spiritual witness. The church, the church witness today. We are not needing to fight for people coming in to take this land. Our battle is still the same as theirs. In the place of prayer. That is the battle. God taught the children of Israel in the very first battle when they leave, when they left Egypt. The battle is won. The war is won in the place of prayer. 
as a church witness today is the same spiritual battle. They for the coming of Christ, we and the witness of Christ, we for the witness of Christ and the second coming of Christ is the same. And, the, and where are we fighting this battle? Prayer, prayer, prayer. That is what it is. Now, which do you prefer, dear friends? To be in them, in that situation, where you are a national witness, you have to go to physical battle very often. You have to face actual knife, sword, and spears thrown at you. Or would you rather be a church witness where you battle on your knees? Where you battle on your knees? Which would you rather? You see, for them, they really have to go to battle. For us, we just somehow feel that we don't have battles to fight. God taught us at church camp the difference for the kingdom's work, the survival of the spiritual state of Israel, and today for us, the church, is in the place of prayer. In the place of prayer. We cannot neglect this. I said this many times. This prayer is not a church theme. It's not a church theme. Please remember that. Prayer is about do or die. It's about survival for you, for your family, for the church. That is what prayer is about. Don't take it as simply a church theme. And after that, what's the next theme, pastor? This must be something that changes our life. I said at the church camp, elderly, you have much time in this world to do this battle for the church. Mothers at home, you also have the time. Yes, you have many duties, but do you realize this is the great privilege that you have as a mother? When your children are at school, when you've done your work, <coughs> necessary things at work, are your hope to go to pray without hindrance, to pray for the kingdom, to be interested in the kingdom, not just for your child's safety in school. You are engaged in battle. You have that time. It's the most wonderful thing. The wonderful thing that I treasure as a pastor is I am in the word and prayer that I have the time to pray. Prayer is not, prayer is not just a duty to, to every pastor. It must be something that the pastor knows is, is do or die, is survival of you, of the church. In this period of illness, I thank God for time to pray much for the church, for you all. It is not a duty. It is whether we live or die. That is prayer, my friends. How do you view all these things, teens? When you have time, social media. When you have time, sports, hobbies, games. Do you view prayer as a battle for the kingdom of God and say, I will join in that battle? Your friends ask you to go and do this, go and do that, go and play with this, play with that. Say, not interested. Not interested. I can't wait to pray for the kingdom of God. I love the kingdom of God. What is it? What is it, dear friends? Fathers, parents, what is it? Singles, you have the time to do this battle. This is the church witness. This is what we mean by the church witness. It is a spiritual battle that we can and we must be engaged in. Have anything changed since you came back from camp? 
Have anything changed? Well, I hope this message will stir you. Now I know I can be strong together with the church to do battle for God's kingdom. I can, and it's called prayer. And I'd rather be praying than be facing sword and knives as a church, as a national witness. I have no excuse not to do this battle. I have no excuse. What is your excuse for not coming to church to pray? Tuesday prayer meetings is God's call of rallying. God said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. What is the reason why you are not here? Now you begin to realize, I am going because I'm linking arms with my brethren every Tuesday night as a concerted, stirring one another to fight for God's kingdom's work, to fight for souls. But do you care? We read how God looked down from heaven and said that he was shocked. He was shocked, not shocked at the sins, the terrible state of Israel. God said, I am shocked. What? You remember? I'm shocked that there was no one, I found no one standing in the hedge to pray for Israel not to fail. I am shocked that, that no one cared for the kingdom to pray. Prayer meetings on Tuesday is a real battle. You come because you know this will stir others to come. To unite our hearts is a real spiritual battle. Don't say, I have no area of service. Every week you have one area of service that is so crucial to the kingdom's, of, kingdom's work, and that is called the church prayer meeting. When God says, you are serious, you come together, just like when God says, now they are serious. There is a fear of God in their heart, and there is a concern for my name. You are serious, I will give victory. When people ask Spurgeon, what is the power behind your preaching and the power of your church in doing God's work? It's so successful in this world. Spurgeon brought these people to a room under the church and he opened the door and he said, and peep in there. The church was praying. A huge group of people were pleading, fighting the battle for the kingdom's work. You see, when you pray at home, it's very often for your own work, for your own family, for your own health, for your own life, for your own job. Church is the time where we come and do battle for the kingdom of God. Do you care? Do you care enough? Now, parents know this. You don't come. You are telling your children it is not important to gather and unite to fight for the kingdom's work. It's not important. Study, sleep. You say you want to bring up godly seed? This is one area that must change. You must begin to stir in them. No one else is closer to your children. No one else is closer to your spouse to stir in them a desire to do battle for the kingdom of God in the place of prayer. No amount of your family prayers, no amount of your, your lectures to them will change anything until they see that in your own lives. I said in the beginning, does this matter to you? Does this matter to you? Now, lastly, you see they gathered together. 
Saul spread them into three groups and said, let's go. You know the unity in there? They were so concerned about the battle and the name of God. There was no argument. Saul, why three groups? Saul, why not three and a half? Why not four? Why divide us this way? Why march this way? Well, that is how it is, right, in church? We are concerned about our comfort. We are concerned about how we want things to be in church. Constantly arguing internally. They just went, all right, this, let's go. Let's go. Support the work. There's no, well, my friends is in that group. Uh, my, my family is in that group. I want to be in that group. They just went. They just went. That's all their concern was. Now, when there is constant arguing, unhappiness with church directions, and unhappiness with all these things, when they're not sinful, when it's for the work of God, go. Now, I want you to notice one thing, all right? Sorry, I haven't been back for a long time, so I can't. I need to unload. Many things have been heavy in my heart to tell you, so I know it's long. Now, I want you to notice in verse 12. And the people said unto Samuel, Who is he that said, Shall Saul reign over us? Bring the men that we may put them to death. Now, I want you to notice one thing. Yes, there will be those that are always criticizing. Even if God has shown his will, still unwilling. But where are these men? Bring them forward. Now, it would appear that these men that, were, that, were, that spoke against Saul and the choice of Saul, they were in the battle as well. They said, where is these people? So they look around them. They were among them. Now, will you change your mind and begin to be part of the work of God? You know, I've seen so many times to the break of my heart, many pastors see the same thing. Some people, they were zealous. They were zealous. They were engaged. But the moment the church makes decisions or someone offends them or their family that they don't like, they retreat. They, go to, they become reclusive. They just retreat to themselves and their own family. They don't participate in this, participate in that. They continue to hold a grudge. But notice these people. They were among them. They decided to put aside all those things. Let's be together with one consent to be concerned about the kingdom of God. Let's be engaged. When will we do that? When will we put away all these personal grudges, jealousies, self-centeredness, rationalizing? When? When? I say that my heart breaks when I see this because when you meet Christ, when you meet Christ, can you tell Christ, I was not engaged and I did not want to be engaged because I did not like the decision. It affects the way my family functions. It affects what I think things should be. Are you going to say that to Christ? You can. You can. Or would you rather be like these people? They were among them. They were among them. They changed and said, let's go. Let's go. Now, so in summary, I ask, ask this question. Is BPCWA going to be the church that God intended us to be? Are your personal life... Your family life going to be that. Saul stood up when God stirred him and he said, let's go. Samuel stood up and said, live for rebuilding the kingdom or live for the kingdom of God. The leaders can only do so much. 
It depends on every single individual in, in Israel at that time. It depends on every single family, every head of home, every wife, every child. No child can say, Daddy, I don't want, I don't want this. I don't want this kind of life. And then Daddy gets, oh, okay. And then, then we don't live like that. Not a single one can say it is for the church. It is for other families. What will BPCWA be? Depends whether you want to stir by obeying, by living a holy, consecrated life that will stir others. Or you want to be a stumbler. BPCWA, how will it be into the future? What can it be? Can it be so spiritually successful that everything that Satan throws against us will fail? And we will do God's work mightily. It's not just the leaders. We saw here, Samuel and Saul. Saul and Samuel, they were ready. But the people must also be ready and come together. Now, God died to give us the church. God led you into this church. Whether you want to live a consecrated life, a holy life, to stir others and to be part of the battle, whether you want to pray and be interested in fighting the spiritual battle in prayer for the church, I think it boils down to one thing that Samuel had to emphasize to them. Look at verse, look at verse 14. Renew the kingdom. It boils down to whether you are driven by the kingdom of God. Whether you are driven by that or not. If you are not, this message is too long for you. This message has no usefulness to you. But when you are stirred, each time you pray on Sunday, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. And when you are stirred genuinely, truly in your heart, for thine is the power, thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory, and you really mean it. If that is your heart, you will, you will, you will live a life that will help this church of God to be strongest together to do God's work. Let us rise to sing the closing hymn. 262. Let us rise. 262.